Before I begin the sermon this morning, I want to uh, share with you, the congregation, my church, a new reality in my life that I've thought about not sharing. In fact, I have not shared it in many places, at least a few, including the staff and a few leaders in the church. But the Lord has put it on my heart to share it with the congregation this morning, so I want to do that because I'm going to begin undergoing a treatment uh, tomorrow morning for five days that is very important to me. Turned out that there was a reason that my eyes weren't getting fixed from the surgery. Turned out that I have another reality to struggle with called myasthenia gravis. Now, I've told you very many times and in very many different ways that I'm a special person. Now you know just how special I am. One in every .00006 persons have this disease in our country. This is an autoimmune deficiency in my body that uh, makes it difficult for my voluntary muscles to function, and that's why my eyes, though corrected surgically, still can't focus the way they need to. That's why I have difficulty chewing. It's why I have difficulty walking. It's why I can't raise my arms very high for very long, except on Sunday morning for some reason. It is also why I have struggle breathing at times if I get the least bit overexerted. I enjoyed playing in the LAC tournament. Thank you to all of those who participated, though I hit very few shots. I was still recovering uh, through last night just from riding around the golf course. Now, you say, well, you haven't mentioned that to us. Yes, you're right, I haven't. But I found out sooner or later I was going to be known to be a liar if I didn't share it with you. Because I always have said to the staff, it's hard to understand people who, ha who have an illness and uh, don't share it with anyone to pray about because they want to keep it private. Well, there's a reason why if you're the pastor, you don't want to tell everyone because you don't want everyone to overaction, to overreact because I'm just like everybody else in most senses of the word, except I'm special in terms of this disease. This is a disease that really has no known cure. The symptoms, however, are very treatable. However, it, people only respond as individuals. So you don't know really what it's going to happen. I just know I'm going to get fusion uh, therapy for the next five days, then once a month for at least the next year or so, in order to help my body not attack itself. Now, I'm unfamiliar with my body attacking myself. As you know, I'm pretty fond of my body, and I like to take care of my body and pamper it. Well, I'm going to learn to pamper it even more, it appears, um, uh, beginning soon. So, But because I'm not going to be as available this next five days, and because I covet your prayers for me to be one of those lucky ones who responds very well to the medication, so I continue to do all the things that I love to do. First of all, serving this congregation. So I appreciate your prayers for that. Now, I do also over, I also appreciate the fact that you're not going to overdo it. Don't be coming to me, please, and mourning because I intend to thrive. I was made to thrive, and I'm going to thrive. Now, I may be thriving a little differently in some ways than I thrived in the past, but I intend to thrive. So if you just pray for me at your home when you take time to pray, and after this morning's sermon, I'm sure you're going to be praying more, then uh, I'm going to feel good about that. I'm in God's hands as you are in God's hands, and I'm not uh, overly concerned about that future, and you should not be either. Don't go out starting looking for another preacher because I intend to stay around in quite a while. Okay, this morning we want to continue to talk about our theme, Identity. Who are we really? We're doing that along the lines of trying to understand who are Christians in the world, who are they meant to be, and who are we as individuals and as a collective body, the church. You remember those we've worked up for a long time in coming up with trying to describe ourselves, and we continue to do that under the idea of identity. 
What does it mean to be a Methodist at First United Methodist Church, Carrollton? The broader question, what does it mean to be a Christian, one who follows Jesus Christ? Well, of course, the Bible is all about that. But the Bible is a big book and takes a long time for us to digest it all. But certainly and surely there must be a place for believers to begin and to continue for all their breathing days upon this earth. I selected a passage of scripture that Troy just read for that very purpose because I believe right here in the first story of the glow of the after effects of the spirit of God being poured out to those who believe in God and who believe in Jesus Christ as their savior right after they've been converted right on the heels of that some 50 days later as they were gathered together in one place with one accord with one purpose Jesus Christ and the father sent to them the very one that Jesus had promised when he walked upon this earth and with the coming of that Holy Spirit the people were overwhelmed with the presence of the Spirit but because they were there Peter then inspired by that same Spirit preached a marvelous sermon outlined to them all the historical events that had happened in their history right up through Jesus Christ and what it meant to them and at the end of it what must they do 3,120 joined the church 120 had already gathered right there were some 3,000 around and they gathered the church that day and from that day only we saw perhaps the most intense purified version of what it means to be a follower of Christ without any distractions they were wholly and completely inclined to live out the reality they had just experienced I mean if you'd been there and seen the tongues of fire if you had heard all the nations speaking in languages and able to understand them all you think you'd have showed up on church the next day I think you would have I think you'd have stayed there I think you'd have been so overcome by what you was experiencing that you would want that event to continue now fast forward a couple of thousand years and how does this relate to us because the very goal of following Christ and being a Christian though it is by necessity process oriented always has the goal of becoming a mature Christian what is and what do Christian followers exemplify in their life we exemplify persons who have certain characteristics who live a certain way with a certain purposeful intent if we are anything less than that then we're never going to become what God has called us to be as individuals and as a community of believers this is not something that just happens there's a reason I use the illustration for the children what do you want to become when you grow up and we always start off with professions right or we start off with home a mommy a daddy I want to be a fireman I want to be uh, whatever you know I, I want to be a doctor I want to be a scientist I want to be a, a trash collector it doesn't matter whatever it is we want to be we have an inherent ability to achieve that within God's reign if we do the right things to make it happen right sometimes we become something we didn't intend to be I really didn't want to become a preacher you know the story I've told it many times but God wanted me to be and I wanted to be what God wanted to be so ipso facto I end up becoming what I didn't want to become because I knew I would become what I wanted to become if I did become what God wanted me to become right got all that don't ask me to repeat it and it's the same for you you're gonna do something to make a living you're gonna do something about raising a family I get that 
But our number one concern as followers of Jesus Christ must be to become the person that God created us to be in Jesus Christ through the power of the Spirit. Now, if that is our goal, however, that's not enough. It's not enough just to want something. you got to want it enough to do something about the want, don't you? You just can't get to becoming anything worthwhile by magic. We don't live in a world of magic. It's amazing to me in today's world, so many of our movies now have become about what used to be cartoon characters. Superheroes. Have you ever met a superhero and shook their hand? No. Why? Because they don't exist. They don't exist. Why do we spend so much time fixated on becoming some marvelous kind of creature that's not possible instead of spending time becoming this beautiful creation of humanity that we can become if only we took the right steps? Why is that? Why are we so less satisfied than we need to be with who we are in Christ and so much more intent on becoming a somebody that does something in our world? Well, we might ask ourselves the question, what are you trying to say this morning? I'm trying to say this very clearly, that not only are followers of Christ and members of his church expected and desired to become loving, forgiving people, but we also want the members of this congregation to become intentional followers of Christ. Intentional followers of Christ. Not people who just kind of drop in and out of church to get a little worship and to feel better about themselves. Not people who just drop in so that they can receive something from the church and feel better about life or feel like they got a shot at going to heaven. But rather intentional followers of the man Jesus. Because to become an intentional follower of the man Jesus is to create for yourself with the Spirit's help and guidance a very different way of living. You see, to be intentional means we're going to do something on person, on purpose, with a purpose. We're going to do something deliberately. It means we're going to be calculated about how we live our lives. It means we're going to be purposeful about directing our best energies our best thoughts, our best time toward the one goal of becoming all that God wants us to be. In other words, it's going to mean in terms of the scripture that Troy led, it says they were continually devoting themselves. Continually devoting themselves. Devoting is a Greek word that means basically when you boil it all down, persistently obstinate. It means we're going to be Stubborn as we can be about becoming all that we can be. We're going to be stubbornly adhering to the one purpose that is going to cause us to become like Jesus himself. It is an inflexible persistence. Now, if you're not overwhelmed, then I need to sit down. Because that is one more big goal to have in life. To be overwhelmed consistently with a purposeful reality of being like Jesus. Can we accomplish that in an hour a week? Two? Three? 
Okay, let's just say you're really persistent. Let's say not only do you go to Sunday school, but you attend worship. And not only that, you sit through the long sermons, you don't sneak out the back door. And not only that, you serve on a committee, God help you. Not only that, but you allow yourself to be a leader of a committee, and God only knows how many nights they'll put in. Is that enough? we talk about that a few hours on Sunday a couple hour committee meeting once a month going to maybe occasional all church gathering like a Sunday night worship you're adding a third fourth one a week why my goodness I might fit in 10 or 12 hours for Jesus let's see 24 times 7 24 7 28 32 33 is that about 98 hours in a week that close my mind might not be working well either. Is that close? No, no. How many hours is it? It's much more than that. 24 times 2. Thank you. Somebody had a phone ready, didn't they? 168 hours a week. So if I give God six a week, I must be close to Jesus. You would be closer than most folks if you gave six hours a week, wouldn't you? That's almost an hour a day. Thank God you have me to help you realize that. And you won't get there by being six-hour-a-week kind of person for 20 years, and then you can coast for the next 40. You'll only get there if you are continually, annually, monthly, and weekly, and daily, intentionally seeking to become a mature follower of Jesus Christ. If you're only seeking to become the best you can be. What does that look like in this passage of Scripture? Don't get, don't get worried. I'm not going to do all 27 points in this text. But let's just say if you have inflexible persistence about the apostles' teaching, because, see, they were doing four main things right after this event happened. One, they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. In our language, because the apostles had died and gone on to heaven, their reward, we would be devoting ourselves to the study of the Scriptures, to the devotional reading of the Scriptures, to the hearing of the scriptures read. Now, in order to really do that, we're going to have to have a methodology that's being taught, by the way, on Wednesday night by a young lady on the front row. She's teaching people how to study the scriptures because you can't just devotionally read the Bible and say you've studied it. That's a cop-out. You can't say, I don't like to read. Let's throw it out with the garbage. I don't care what you like to do. If you're continually devoted and committed to becoming like Jesus, you've got to read that book and you've got to study that book. You say, well, I just can't read and study. Tell me how many football teams are in the NFL. Tell me what the quarterback does on each position. You see, you study about a lot of things. I know you because you're just like me. You study a lot. And not only do you study a lot, you get people to help you learn what you want to learn. You know, Gary Swindle will even go to a golf coach and have him show him how to make the right swing. And I'm telling you, that golf coach just keeps going home saying, I'll never get Swindle right for very long at a time. But every now and then, it all comes together, and Swindle is unbelievable. Fortunately, it's only for a short time, because that's about all I can stand it. That's true with most things. 
When we want it badly, we're willing to get coached by it. I remember in high school when we'd line up at the end of the gym and the whistle was, was in the coach's mouth and he'd sit down on the bench and he'd blow it and we'd take off running. We'd run to the end and we'd run back and we'd run to the end and we'd run back. Then he'd blow the whistle and we'd reverse the way we were going. I remember the time we lost a game we shouldn't have lost. I was a freshman. We came back in from that glorious defeat, never having seen the floor as a freshman, but I got to travel with the team. That was always cool. Two freshmen, you know, I won. Yeah. That was great until they lost. And after that holiday tournament, he called us back to practice the next Saturday morning. And he made a circle in the gym. We had two juniors. They were the two point guards. Slim, mature. Put one on one end, one on the other. He says, start running. And we said, what? He says, start running. When I blow the whistle, run the other way. We ran around the gym. He blew the whistle. We ran around the gym. I was the shortest guy, not the roundest guy. Close. It was a senior, a little bitty. And when he blew the whistle, we'd run again. And we ran, and we ran, and we ran, and I thought I was going to die. And then we ran, and we ran, and I wished I could die. But I had to keep going because there was somebody behind me and somebody in front of me. And we ran, and we ran, and we ran. He nearly killed me. He would be put in jail today for that kind of thing. But at the end of all that, they never threw away another basketball game against an inferior opponent, thank goodness. And I got to watch him win a lot of games that year. You wanted it so badly that you'd do whatever the coach said because you didn't know any better. Do you ever feel that way about becoming all the Christian you can become? That you'll do everything you can? Do you ever feel like you'll do everything you can to make the church to become all the church ought to be? It's going to require more from us than just a passive response. You know, I mentioned golf. Now, when you see Tom play golf, it's a sight to behold. I don't know how his club ever strikes the ball. Tom does everything wrong in a swing, almost. But Tom has been at it so long that he can do it perfectly. And he hits the ball dead center every time right down the course. And then he'll be sitting out there short of the green where the the long hitters are on the green, those young men. And Tom will take out his little chipping wedge. And he'll hit from 30, 40 yards out, about 15 foot away. And the other guy's kind of looking at him like, he shouldn't be able to do that. He's an old man. And then while they're looking over their putt and they've lagged it up there, they think they've done something special. Tom takes out his putter and he hits it in the hole for a par. Never seeing the green half the time. Until he's chipping it, until he's putting. He's honed it through the years, and he can do it with the best of them. Now, imagine faith applied that way to the study of the Scripture. What does it take, you say? Simple. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes study help. How many cookbooks you got in your house, ladies? More cookbooks than Bible helps? More cookbooks, uh, not cookbooks, but more auto magazines or sporting magazines in your house than you have Bible study aids. It's amazing how few people buy commentaries that teach you what the scripture is really trying to teach you. And they're mostly preachers. Isn't that a shame? You're at the mercy of a preacher. Trust me, I know a lot of them. It's a shame. So buy your own commentary. Treat it like a Bible because that's the only way you understand the Bible. 
is to learn how to read it, to learn how to interpret it, and learn how to use it wisely. Takes time, takes effort, intentional as an individual and intentional as a group, and it never, ever ends. What else did they do? They were continually devoting themselves to Scripture and to fellowship. They came together. They came together sharing their time, sharing their faith journey, caring. They were giving the effort to help each other in fellowship to become better. Koinonia is the word they talk about. They cared about each other when they came together. We're, we're good at that in this church. We're good at caring about each other. We're good at caring for each other. We have this one pretty well honed. We are a fellowship of believers, and that's what makes us special. We are intentional about it, and we try to involve everybody in it. They came together for the breaking of bread. Now, the scholars don't agree on this, whether they're talking about just eating, uh, just eating a love feast, whether they're reliving and sharing their faith together, or whether it's actually a foreshadowing or a remembering of the Lord's Supper. Different commentaries, different writers believe different things. I just say it's all of it. They came together to remember Christ. They came together to thank him for the food they had to eat. They came together to praise God for what's happening in their lives. They came about telling them about talking to a neighbor last week, and now that neighbor is so happy with him, he's coming to fellowship next week. Fellowship, breaking of bread, and the last thing is prayer. They had watched Jesus go out early in the mornings, late in the evenings to pray, his regular habit. They watched him, and they copied him. What does it mean to be a intentional prayer it means that you want intimacy with God it means you want conversation with God and it means you want to engage your life in that now to do that it's what's it going to take it's amazing it starts sound like a broken record doesn't it? it's going to take time most of us have this much time okay God get ready because here's my list here's everything everybody else needs Here's everything I need. I want to thank you right now for giving it all to me. See you tomorrow, same time. And you're walking off and God is going, hey, come back here. I hadn't spoke yet. Come back here. Come back here. Know me. Don't just come to tell me. Don't just come to ask for something. Come here and know me. Let me whisper in your ear how much I love you. Let me whisper in your ear how important you are to me. Let me whisper in your ear how you can become anything you want to be just by giving yourself. Let me convince you how special you are to me. And yes, I've heard all your prayers. Let me convince you that you're living in the palms of my hands. Take some time and meditate on just being here with me. I miss you. Getting your grocery list just doesn't quite do it for me. And there's so much more I can give you if you'll just hang around. They could devoted themselves continually for the teaching of the apostles, for fellowship, caring about each other, and caring for each other, sharing with each other what's going on in their life. To the breaking of bread, remembering the death of their Savior who had made all this life in the Spirit possible. They feasted together and thanked God for the bounty they had. And they prayed. They prayed. And they prayed. Now, to do the results of all of that was, there's a sense of awe amongst this body of believers. There were signs and wonders continually occurring in their midst. 
And when we talk about Jim Clark's life, we're not going to talk about the fun days. We're going to talk about, in one way or another, in small groups, in large groups, as his life is celebrated, we're going to remember how God performed a miracle in his life. And even though he had a brain cancer, he lived way beyond any timetable that earth could have provided for him. We're going to celebrate that. Because that's what life is about. It's about signs and wonders in the midst of the body of Christ. Since of all signs and wonders, we was the wonder of all wonders, they shared all things in common. Wow. I remember when I was a young pastor and I wasn't making hardly any money, I prayed for that to happen all the time. So let's just have all things in common, Lord. And then I began to accumulate a few things. I said, okay, Lord, let's share a little of what we got with each other. All things in common. I remember as a young pastor, all the young pastors would get together and say, you know, instead of preachers getting paid differently, we ought to all just get paid the same. And that sounds like such a good idea when you're at the bottom of the ladder. When you get farther up the other end of the ladder, you're kind of like, I don't know if they're working as hard as I am. <laughs> we always think we're working harder than the next guy, right? The reality is that sharing all things in common, it's no wonder that it didn't last very long. Because we are such selfish people. We are born into the world as we are as humans, and we have a selfish need to survive and to thrive by our own standards. And that's why it's so hard to keep all things in their proper perspective. It's hard to be intentional, intentional consistently about making, seeking the kingdom of God the first thing in our life. That's what Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And all this other stuff will be added to you. But we have a hard time being intentional about making first things first. How much time do I have? Not long. What first things are you talking about, Doug? Sports are now more important than church. Every child this tall, or most every child this tall, is going to be a professional athlete. We spend an unbelievable amount of money on them, them doing that and very little on their coaching or the fine arts and teaching them the things that might bring to life and live to so many later on. We're not careful. Life becomes more about getting to that retirement age so we can travel the last 25 years of our life. Because after all, we did all that church stuff back when our kids were little. Because our kids really needed it. Once the kids left, so many forget what was first. Is it any wonder that their kids looking back go, oh, I see. Church was important when I was little. But now that I'm big and gone, you're free to just kind of explore. No need to work or strive anymore. You see how dangerous it can become to be that selfish person we're all born to be? We're not born the way God intended it for us to be born. We're born in sin. The scriptures in the Western tradition teach that clearly. We're born sinners. We need to overcome that in order to become what God intended us to be. To be born again and to be made new in his sight. To have different priorities than the rest of the world. We need to have a different attitude. And when we have that different attitude, then that idea of becoming a mature person, ready for the meat of the gospel that Paul was talking to the Corinthian church about in the third chapter of verses 1 through 3 can happen. Let's just... Listen to Paul for a moment. A couple of times. Paul writes, and I'll get to the right chapter if I didn't mess it up. 
want to. Take my word for it. In the interest of your lunch, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 through 3, read it. Take this goal, though, with you when, you when you're reading it. For this reason, Paul says as he prays, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in the inner person so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Philippians, the church in Philippi, third chapter. That I may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, and that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. God desires that we become mature, that we become faithful, that we see one stair at a time, that we land on each one as we go up and down the stairs of life. Most churches and most Christians are pretty comfortable that they're going to heaven. I used to hear that all the time in those little country churches I pastored. I didn't have nearly enough courage to speak up when I heard it. You know what I hear? Preacher, if I can just be the doorkeeper in heaven, that would be a great day. And I'm thinking, you might not even be the doorkeeper if you don't get yourself going, buddy. You're selling yourself short. You sit down because you think you've gotten it, because you're going to heaven. There's no sit down in the heavenly manual for Christians on earth. There's no sit down. There's no retirement from the work of the kingdom if people are dying without Christ. You say, you make this sound so overwhelming. Good. Get a sense of awe about what God is expecting from you because that's what God is expecting. Because, you see, his followers are willing to die for him. That's a little bit more important than our 403B. If you live that kind of life and that kind of intention, if you're able to look at your children and say to them, you know, what you're doing is good, but it's not more important than church. Daddy said, what you're playing and how much you enjoy basketball is important, but it's not more important than church. You don't go to Sunday practice. And I said, okay. 
it was illegal to have Sunday practices back then, by the way. My basketball coach knew that, but I was a freshman and I was dumb. And he said, the gym is open if y'all want to come and shoot. I asked my dad if I wanted to come and shoot. He said, nope, we don't do basketball on Sunday afternoon. Make that 10-mile trip in. The next week, team traveling team was posted for the basketball tournament at Christmas. Guess whose name wasn't on it for the first time that year? Ignorant little freshman, I went in to the coach. I said, what did I do? Something wrong? Because I knew I was better than the other guy he put on the team. <laughs> he said, you know what you did. I said, mm, no, don't know. Yeah, you know. No, I didn't. Were you up to the gym last Sunday? I said, no. But you said come if we wanted to. I said, my dad said I couldn't come. He said, you knew what I meant. I didn't even know there was a rule saying you couldn't, that the coach couldn't be up there with us in the gym. I didn't know that. But when I went home and told my daddy, my daddy knew he was not a happy camper. I'm still amazed that the man exists in the shape he does. My daddy's in heaven, but so is he. And they had to meet up there. Most heavenly, thank God for heavenly chambers, right? That daddy, he put my daddy against the wall between what he knew was the most important thing in my life. coach willing not to be intentional about what was right and so and he had my life in his hands and so one time I saw my father cave he said well if he's going to be that ignorant I guess you'll have to go you know I never felt good about going to those practices on Sunday because I knew my daddy did not want me to go and thought that man was totally wrong and if he had said just tell him I would have, because it was a small high school. I would have just stayed home. Because you know what? Daddy was right with his first thought. Me playing basketball was not as important as me understanding that church came first. And that man was out of bounds. I never forgot that. And years later, years and years later, when Coach wanted Sarah to play club volleyball, living in Paris, Texas, in Dallas, you know, when they played club volleyball on Sundays, they left Sunday mornings to come to Dallas to play club volleyball. And she came to me and said, Daddy, the coach wants me to play club volleyball. And she, she said, can I? I said, no. She said, why? I said, because we can't afford it, and it's on Sunday. Both of those count? And the answer is no. So the coach comes up and says, Mr. Miller, she knows I'm the pastor in this town, right? She's even going to church. Your daughter can really get better if she plays club volleyball. And I looked at her and I said, not on Sunday, she doesn't. And she didn't. Now, that coach had enough integrity that it didn't affect her teamship. The one I experienced didn't. What about the people in your lives that try to lure you away from your intentional walk with Christ? Are they successful? Is there something more important than what we're doing here this morning? On a regular basis? I don't think so. But I'm like you. I'm made of flesh. I need the community to study the scriptures with me, to pray with me, to encourage me, and to keep me on track. Fellowship with me. Talk about our faith. To tell the stories of when we've been successful and to tell the stories of when we've not. So that together we can encourage one another to be exactly 